Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey and I am your host as usual. Alright, on the agenda today. Review. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 86. The UFC was back at the Apex and we had... Oh man. I was kind of excited for this card on paper. Is what I get for getting my hopes up. We had a very MMA night, which is to say, weird. Very weird. So, yeah, there was that. Um, we'll go into all of that. There's a couple of things in the news. Mostly fight announcements. Um, UFC 295, I think, has most of its card announced now. UFC 296 got... Did that have any fights announced for it? We knew that we had like the date and the venue. I think that's the last pay-per-view in December. Um, but we didn't. I think it, so. We finally have fights for that. Uh, yeah, the UFC finally got a bunch of stuff signed, or finally got to a point where they were willing to publicly announce it. I don't know which happened in what way, but whatever. So we'll be talking about that, and you know whatever other news breaks while we're talking. Sometimes that that doesn't happen very much. I record these later in the evening on Sunday, and frequently that's quieter, quieter time for MMA news. Uh, occasionally it has not worked that way. I remember a handful of years ago, um, the story about uh, Tony Ferguson tripping and uh, blowing out his knee and losing the fight with uh, Khabib broke. Uh, it was April Fool's. The news broke April 1st. <laughs> And that broke earlier in the day, and I uh, actually had to inform Jeff of that right before we went live. So he, he came on, and we were talking a little bit, and I said, yeah, we have to talk about... I gave him the rundown, basically, and um, you have to talk about this thing with Tony Furry. He's like, is that some bad April Fool's joke? Like, no, no. No, it's not. So... But, uh, yeah, at the moment, you know, it all seems relatively quiet on the MMA front, but we'll see. Crazy stuff has happened before. All right. Um, please like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. I deeply appreciate everything you can do. Um, brief shout out to Sal, who's still commenting on, I think he's on Spotify as his, as, um, the platform he listens on. So he, he's, he's good about leaving comments and, um, occasionally helpful suggestions and whatnot. So thank you very much, sir. Uh, appreciate it. If you'd like a shout-out, feel free to leave comments. I'm My audience is not huge, so I don't mind uh, doing that kind of stuff for you guys. So If I ever get huge, I, I do my best not to let it go to my head. I don't expect to. Um, and if you've done any of all of that, please share on a social media platform of your choice or with people you know socially in real life. Just let them know about the show if you think they'd enjoy it. So thank you very much. Again, as always, anything and everything is appreciated. Now let's uh, let's jump into this thing, shall we? So, UFC on ESPN plus 86. Earlier start time. Um, yes. Sorry if I'm a little out of it. I am mildly sleep deprived. My sleep schedule has been whacked the last couple of months, not months. And actually, it might be. <laughs> it's getting closer. So I apologize. I'm on little sleep at the moment, so 
bear with me if I get any of those things very wrong. But uh, UFC needs to be in plus 86. The UFC back in the Apex, back in, um, yeah, because last time when they were in T-Mobile. Um, I mentioned already, I was looking forward to this card. I really liked the main event. Was mildly intrigued by the co-main. There were a couple of fights on the prelims that I had kind of my eye on. Like, there was, there was some stuff. And then, man, we just got a very MMA night. We had an injury... A DQ, a couple of terrible fights. <laughs> um, yeah, we got we got kind of the spectrum here, uh, not the full spectrum, but we got a wide array of MMA uniqueness last night. So main event: Mateusz Gamrotz defeats Rafael Fiziev, knee injury to Fiziev, 203 of the second round. What a look! I'm not blaming anybody. Um, but what a letdown, man. Really good first round. Gamrot had a, had bits of success on the feet. Fazeev clearly aware of the threat of the takedown, which does open up elements of your striking, but I'm it. So Gamrot had a little success there. He tried, he couldn't, he got like one takedown barely at the end of the first. So it was a competitive round. I had it for Fazeev. Hit a really nice combination of punches. Both men were throwing some kicks. It was it was starting to cook. You know, we had potentially five rounds of these two, and Gamrot has cardio for five rounds. We've seen that. We've seen Fazeev go deeper into fights. Uh, I was liking where it was going. And then second round, we're getting a little more of the same, not in a bad way. Um, and then... As Gamrot circling away, Fazeev just throws a right roundhouse kick to the body, and his left knee, almost certainly the ACL, tore. Uh, I say almost certainly because the way the knee kind of slid and then snapped back into place, we've seen that um, a fair bit over the last like 18 months, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. So and People, you know, physicians have chimed in with this one saying, yeah, that's almost certainly an ACL tear. You know, wait for more complete diagnostics, obviously. And I don't believe um, Fiziev or anyone else has confirmed this. But that's my hunch. Um, it look, certainly looks like one. Um, it, it, and, you know, he, if you t- uh, he couldn't continue. So uh, it sucks. This was getting good. Um Dude, Fazeev's flexibility and takedown defense was... He almost got tree-topped twice in that first round and didn't go down. I don't know how he didn't. Like, by all logic, what Gamrot was doing should have resulted in him on the canvas, and he just didn't go down. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a bummer. He must, Anytime I see one of these, it almost leads me to think that you had a minor kind of injury coming in. Which is not uncommon. Fighters have minor injuries all the time, but I mean, come on, it, it, it's nothing. There was nothing tricky about this. It's a right roundhouse kick to the body. Man, I've thrown that kick thousands of times. He's th- probably thrown it what tens, hundreds of thousands of times. How long has he been fighting? I mean, because he was a Muay Thai coach for he was the head coach at a Tiger Muay Thai for a bit of the striking coach there. 
Decorate like that dude has thrown that kick probably I can't quite say millions, but probably close to it throughout the course of his life. And on this occasion, something about the angle, something about whatever, uh, his left knee gave out. Um, it just uh, just sucks. Uh, after the fight, Gamrot said he would he his dream is to fight Islam Makashev for the title. Fair enough. But if he can't have that fight, he'd like to fight Charles. But he um, sorry, that's his dream. But he knows it's not quite there yet. So instead, he'd like to fight Charles Oliveira, the man currently scheduled to fight Islam Makashev for the belt. Um, bold prediction of his, I suppose, that um, Oliveira will not win the rematch. For whatever it's worth, I still favor Makashev, but I don't think it'll look the same way it did the first time. Um, more on that when we get closer to the fight, obviously. I appreciate the call-out. Um, man, I don't know what you, well, I don't know what you do with him. He lost to Benil Daryush when Daryush took a, um, when he took a step up in competition to face Daryush. The problem is he's also, like, rumor has it at the moment that uh, we're going to get Daryush and Armin Saryuki, in which one, yes, please, thank you. Two, he lost to Daryush, Gamrot did, but he also beat Saryukian. I wouldn't hate a rematch between Gamrod and Saryukian, mind you, but we're almost in that territory. Um, you got Michael Chandler out there floating around? I don't know. Here's the problem with that. Look, most of humanity accepted a long time ago that Chandler and McGregor is not, in fact, happening. Most of us did. I don't know if Chandler's accepted it in a real way, like he's made noise about it, but I don't think, I think he's not going, uh, how do I phrase this? If Michael Chandler accepts a fight other than Conor McGregor, he's, he's giving that up in ways that will sort of absolve Conor of his, um, should I say guilt? Certainly his participation, to whatever extent Connor is uh, culpable for what's happened, and personally, the majority of this is his fault, but if Chandler accepts another fight, I think he knows he's never getting that back. As long as he doesn't accept another fight, he that's still kind of, that's still kind of hanging there. It's the sword of Damocles over everything. Well, you know, Connor wants to come back. Well, Chandler's right there. If Chandler's not right there, it again, it might actually make things easier for the UFC and for Connor at this point, but I don't know. I'm at, I'm at the point where I'm going to be a little bit surprised if Connor ever fights again, period. At all. Um so there's, um, who else do you, I don't know what you do with Dustin Poirier. Here's the other thing kind of out there. Justin Gagey's probably getting the next title shot. Uh, he probably gets a shot at the winner of Makashev and Oliveira, assuming no shenanigans in that fight. 
I don't know what Poirier. I don't know if Poirier want. He said he doesn't want to do the fight the next up and comer thing. He doesn't want to just fight contenders. He's nearing the end. I think he knows it. And he's looking for big money opportunities. And bless him, if that's what you want to do. Hey, I have no. I bear zero ill will towards Dustin Poirier, one of the few good guys in the sport. That man. If you want to do that, he probably shouldn't be ranked because he's not really in the title queue. And again, he's not. He wouldn't really be a factor if he does. That, the point there being, Gamrot's the kind of fight that. If he were interested in making a serious push for the belt one more time, you fight Mateusz Gamrot, you beat him, you reassert yourself as I'm one of the guys, and you're in the title conversation. If he's only interested in bigger money fights, be that lightweight or welterweight, which apparently he's kind of tossing around as an idea, Gamrot's the kind of fight that you're never going to accept because it's everything you don't want. It's a very, very tough fight dangerous opponent that won't get you a ton of attention or extra cash to the extent that he gets extra cash for bigger fights. I don't know. I assume that he does, but not everyone does. And doesn't really further your goals in that respect. So, I don't know. That That's a thing. I doubt he gets Oliveira. Minor caveat, if Oliveira loses and loses badly, then he might accept that. If he really needs to rehab his career after a second loss to Makashev, then that might be on the table. But other than that, he's going to wind up fighting someone else who's just a terrible... I shouldn't say terrible, but like another guy who's a bit unheralded but will ruin your night. That is getting harder to pull off, though. I mean, let me go through the rankings here at Lightweight for just a second. Um, there's actually a relatively interesting discussion that was had over on uh, MMA on Point about does Lightweight have a problem? Um, you got Makashev on top, Oliveira getting the next shot. Then you have Justin Gagey, Dustin Poirier, Benil Darius, Michael Chandler, Rafael Fazib, Mateusz Gamrat, Armin Soyukian. Dan Hooker, Grant Dawson, fighting in two weeks. Rafael Dos Anjos, Jalen Turner, Renato Moicano, Matt Frivola, and uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira. That's not a bad division, but the problem is there's a pretty steep demarcation line after five. So if we take just a look at this again, Mateusz Gamrot, he fought Daryush and lost. Saryukian fought Gamrot and lost. Um, Hooker fought Poirier and lost. Uh, Dawson's getting... Dawson hasn't fought any of those guys. Um, he... I wonder to the extent he got... like I'm not saying Grant Dawson's a bad fighter. Please don't misunderstand me with what I'm about to say. I wonder if there wasn't a push for the people doing the rankings to give him a ranking since he was going to main event, a card against Bobby Green. I don't know that Grant Dawson necessarily deserves to be number 10, specifically. But you've got this chunk of guys in the middle that have stepped up to the top four. It's called the top four or five, and have fallen short. And then the back third, you know, like 11 through 15, you've either got aging guys who are nearer the end, 
RDA, maybe Moicano, or guys a little bit on the come up who have struggled against slightly higher level opposition or haven't been given the opportunity. Grant Dawson has not faced a ranked opponent. I don't want to talk out of my... I don't want to be incorrect there, but... Was this Magulov ranked? I I need to double-check this one, because he might have been. That was July 1st. Um, No, actually, Magulov was not ranked for that fight. Dawson was ranked number 15. So wait a minute. He went from number 15 to number 10 by beating Demiris Magulov, who I thought... Don't get me wrong. I, I thought very highly of him. I think he's retired now, or I'm more a little bit unsure. But took a five-position jump over a bunch of other guys. That Again, that reeks a little bit of... Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, like behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, yeah, it sucks that Smagulov ba- again basically retired. Um, don't know what was up with that. I mean, he mentioned health pro- ongoing like health concerns and whatnot, but you know, wish him the best. So yeah, I don't think he's beaten a single ranked opponent his entire UFC run. He's number ten. In the lightweight division, again, it just it feels weird. But that's a little bit where we are with uh, with respect to. Well, I mean, next for Gamrod, you know, you you've gotta he's gotta make a big call, I guess, because it's gonna be rough. He's fought several guys already, and it's just it becomes difficult at a certain point, I guess. So I don't know uh, again. Take a shot, I guess, but I find his probability of fighting Oliveira a little bit unlikely. For Fazeev, now you just gotta, you know, rehab the knee. Get surgery, fix it. Because whatever tore in there is going to require surgery. Rehab it, um, hopefully you can come back. Because, ah, we're having a pretty good fight for as long as it lasts. Just a bit of a downer ending. Okay, co-main event... Um, Bryce Mitchell defeats Dan Ige via unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. I was 29-28, I don't agree with 30-27, I thought Ige had the first. Um, how do we feel about this one? Um, well, how do I feel, like, what do I want to say about it? So, Ige messed up Bryce Mitchell's right eye pretty badly. Apparently, he could see well enough to continue fighting between rounds two and three, but, um, yeah, that thing was messed up. Mitchell's in a weird spot. And, let me check a couple of things as it relates to him. So, he's only 28. And he's only had 17 fights. Now, when did he get into the UFC? 18. Yeah, because he was on that stupid season of tough. So his 10th win was in the UFC. (sighs) 
here's my okay. Here's my concern. Everything that Ilya Teporia did to him still, in theory, works. His striking defense is not really there. He doesn't always have the best reactions to being hit. He he was not as, like, shell-shocked here as he was when he fought Teporia. So that helps. Um, and when Teporia hit it, he said after the fight that Ige was the hardest puncher he's ever fought. That might be true. I can tell you he reacted much worse to Teporia. Maybe his, he mentioned in the build-up to this that he shouldn't have taken that fight. He was dealing with an injury, uh, or an illness, rather, excuse me. And it just... And that's fair, man. Like, I don't... I, because Bryce Mitchell is kind of a weird dude, um, I know some people are kind of in a hurry to clown on him over that. Um, I'm not. Like, talking about the circumstances that led to your loss with soberness and reflection is something I, I'm not going to knock a fighter for that long as you, again, if you're being pissy about it or whatnot, well, then we got a different, that's a different conversation, but I don't think I heard him, like, delegitimize Teporia's win. He said, well, this is what happened. I think if I'm healthy, maybe the fight goes differently, which is fair. I don't think it does, but, you know, he's in fighters are, you know, pathologically uh, self-deluded about their, their self, uh, um, self-belief. Like, they have to believe in themselves, in the contrary to all logic, so I'm, I'm not going to kill him for that one. Um, the problem that Ige ran into, and this is a problem a lot of guys who fight Bryce Mitchell are going to have, stopping his takedowns is not easy but doable. But if he ever does get you down, getting separation from him after the fact is very difficult. Um, man, he all. He hit the sickest back take. Uh, they were in the third round of the fight. He's going for a takedown. He can't quite get it. He um, he winds up partially on the back. Uh, Ige kind of slings him down. Looks to get on top in full guard. There's some arm positioning here. And um, Mitchell has a left butterfly hook that he uses to a little bit elevate Ige, then sneaks it around to the back, scoots his whole body around. Um, RJ Clifford, who is, I think, RJ Clifford MMA on Twitter, he's got the the clips there. Feel free to look at it. Nutty. It, it's a genuinely sick bit of grappling. His grappling is very good. His ground and pound... It's, if you remember the Barboza fight, it's not terrible. Um, he doesn't use it as often as you would like, but it's not, you know, anemic or completely uh, absent. It's just like second order for him. There's a few, there's a thing or two he prioritizes above it. Which is fine. Like, again, how you assign those priorities is a function of your style more than anything else. But in striking defense, still a bit of an issue. Reaction to being in striking situations, still a bit of an issue. He's got decent offense on the feet. Not great, but decent. But 
I think my big concern with him is that the again what Ilya Teporia did to him is still a very 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 good path to victory. Now this is not a one size fits all. Anybody can do this. Like that was the that's been the knock on different fighters for a while was here's a very basic thing that you can do to attack them and it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do this will work. It's not quite like that with Bryce Mitchell. It's not that anybody can do what Ilya Teporia did. You have to actually be good. Danny Gay's good, but his lower... What hurt him here? Slightly lower output. He still outstruck um, Mitchell overall, numerically. And I would argue quality as well. So that was a problem. Uh, that's a problem for Mitchell, rather. So, But there was that. There was a little bit of a lack of um, ring craft from Ige. If you could get Mitchell backing up, he wasn't the best about cutting him off, and it would instead kind of give him places to spin out and reset. Minor issue. Um, I think the other problem that Ige ran into that Teporia didn't. Here's the big thing, actually. Teporia was respectful, or maybe respectful is not the right word. He was cognizant of Bryce's grappling, but was very confident in his own. And any time they wound up kind of grappling, Teporia just said, okay, I know how to stop you from advancing position, and I'll beat the crap out of you while we're here. And Ige a little bit prioritized disengagement over punishment in the grappling scenarios. Some of that was how Mitchell was able to get him down in some of those specific positions, but as a general rule, um, it seems like that's another thing that will give Mitchell problems. Uh, that said, Mitchell needed a win. You know, coming back after a decent layoff, uh, after his first loss, you know, how you rebound from that stuff matters. He still pursued the fight. He still has some of the problems that he's always that he seems to have had for a while, but and my other concern here is I don't know how I don't know if that's going to get fixed. He seems he has a good rapport with his team, and that matters for a lot. But I do question a little bit if um, if though that coaching staff is in a position to really kind of rehab some of the issues that are being exploited. Maybe they can. I'm, I don't know them. Not saying it's impossible, saying I have questions. I have that same question. I have, I have that question less with other coaches because if I've seen whether or not they can or not, there's a bit of an unknown with them going on. So I don't know, but some of the holes and habits that were exploited by Teporia are still very much present. We're still very much present for this fight. Um, so, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to be up with that. Um, he's going to have a hard road. I'm not saying it's impossible for Bryce Mitchell to have success. But there's going to there's gonna come a point, and look, Teporia might be a champion in this weight class. So I am not saying that, oh, no, you lost Ilya Teporia. It's all downhill. It's more a question of, like, how did that guy beat you? Have you done the work to fix some of those things that were exploited? And 
how much of that is going to be doable by the rest of the division? Dan Ige, I don't think there's a case for Ige winning the fight necessarily, but he won the first round and the second was comp- was pretty competitive. Um, and the third was fairly competitive. There's some positional issues that made it pretty clearly a Mitchell round. Um, but there's some guys further up the food chain there. I uh, featherweight that might be a real problem for him. I mean, he was number 10 coming in here. So if we look also, we got Volk, Holloway, Rodriguez, Ortega, Arnold Allen, Ilya Teporia, Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater, Giga Chikadze, and Movsar Vloyev. I don't know how many of those people I favor him to beat. In fact, for the sake of argument, let's kind of go... It's almost unfair to start at the top, but for the sake of argument, let's do so. I don't give him any real chance against Volkanovski. I don't give him any real chance against Max Holloway. He might actually have a decent shot against Yair, because Yair is just weird. Um, I actually might be interested in him and Brian Ortega, um, depending seeing how the grappling would go there. Would still favor Ortega. Um, would favor Arnold Allen. Uh, we already saw what Taporia did to him. Would favor him to do that again. I'd favor Josh Emmett. Cater's a bit more interesting. Cater's good. But Cater's also been in some wars, so that, that bill's come and due for him. Um, he might have a good shot against Giga Chikadze, actually. Uh, the more that's on the feet, obviously, the uh, the more that favors Giga, but... Bryce's grappling would be a problem for Chikadze. Evloyev's interesting. Because he's really good. But... In some of the same ways, I guess. No, didn't Evloyev kind of get ragdolled by... Oh, that Kazakhstani... That Kazakh fellow who is... Sadly lost a couple of fights. Because uh, if Loyev caught him like a... I'm thinking of somebody else. Who am I thinking of? Um, oh, Saeed Nurmagomedov is who I'm thinking of, sorry. Uh, if Loyev... Um, beat Diego Lopez on short notice. Lopez stepped up. That was a crazy fight. Yeah, they're they're good in kind of similar ways. That actually wouldn't be a terrible fight. On paper. Um, if you're Mitchell, though, if you're Mitchell and you can get Giga Chikadze, that might be the name you circle here. Like, that's the right combination of ranked above you and winnable. But guys with good takedown defense who are good about putting out damage, I think they're going to be a problem for him. Um, I really do. Uh, Dan Ige is still good. I don't know what else to tell you. He's still a very good fighter. He's just kind of... I think we've seen his ceiling at this point. Um, I said he's going to be good for entertaining fights, so I don't think he's necessarily going... How old is he? 32? Yeah, he's got a couple of good years left in him still. Um, He just... Hang on, a little bit of a tough matchup here. It was winnable for him, though. It was definitely... You could see how he could have won this one. 
So there's that. Um, because Bryce Mitchell is a slightly weird fellow, um, he brought a Bible into the ring, into the cage during his announcements. And look, I, I don't talk about a lot of my personal stuff here, but for those of you who know, I'm going to say the following as a practicing and believing Christian, specifically a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, Bryce a little weird. <laughs> uh, after the fact, after the fight, doing his interview, he kept Dan Ige around and said, you know, no, you're going to hang out. You know, we got stuff. And proceeded to do something, on the one hand, very wholesome, and on the other hand, again, a little weird. Um, you, you know, worried about the fate of the nation and that Satan has gotten hold of the hearts of people and... Which I, look, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like, I'm worried about the world. If you're not, you're not paying attention. Not going any further than that, just saying. <laughs> a, a cursory examination of the state of things might lead one to uh, be concerned. <laughs> the, and yeah, again, I'm not to get too deep into my personal belief system here, but yeah, the influence of the adversary is real to people who allow who allow it. And he kind of mentioned, you know, he thought the um, fires in Hawaii, in um, Hawaii were the work of the devil, and um, that you know people were conspiring to keep the land away from the native Hawaiians, and that's oh man. I don't, look, I don't pretend to be the most um, up-to-date on the specifics of the relationship between the Native Hawaiians and how they arrived as being part of the United States. I've said in the past on this program that, look, was coloni- the history of colonization throughout the course of humanity, it's ugly. Pretending that it was a uniquely European thing is bull. It's a historical nonsense. Every society, for as long as there have been societies, have tried to conquer or colonize things around them. As technology advanced, it what categorized what what came to be described as around them just got bigger. Let's not pretend that, you know, the history of the Hawaiian people was all sunshine and rainbows. Like, no. You look at the history of various Pacific Island tribes, like, stuff got gnarly at times. And that's fine. It did everywhere. It did everywhere. And there just does come a point when one has to wonder what use there is in going, well, you know, so-and-so's native and -and so-and-so isn't. Again, however many generations on. I don't know. Again, I'd have to double check and read up on some stuff specifically related to the Hawaiian Islands. That's my. That's just kind of my stance in general, because eh, uh, the, uh, the way tribalism is breaking down currently in the world, I, I find it deeply unhelpful and troubling. Anyway, neither here nor there. That's what, it is, and he wanted, you know, he and Danny Gay to prey on ESPN. And Michael Bisbing, noted atheist, 
Heavy to interview, though, man. I don't know what the producer in his earpiece was saying, but he had to be like, get it, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. So, um, in addition to that, Mitchell mentioned he was going to be donating um, five grand to the relief efforts in Hawaii after the tragedies, and uh, bless him for that, man. Anything you can do to help, like that, those fires, man. I don't buy into the cons- I don't know that there's evidence they were man-made that it was arson, essentially. Whatever the cause, um, terrible what happened there, and, and any relief that can be offered. Um, that will actually get to the relevant people, but, you know. Dude, crisis is an industry. I kind of hate that. I hate that it's become that. But, you know, vet, vet where you give your money is all I'm saying. But you know, good on him for make, for doing that, assuming he goes through with it. And I don't need to think he won't. Um, and then, yeah, he and Dan Ige spend a minute after you know, Biz being taken the mic away and everything. And they just spend a minute kneeling in the octagon praying together. And, uh, you know, fair enough. Um, again, Mitchell's a little weird. Uh, but he's not the worst fighter in the world. And he, some of his grappling is very good. So, yeah, that was that. Um, next up, we had a totally unnecessary fight. Um, Marina Rodriguez beat the beat the brakes off of Michelle Watterson Gomez. So, Watterson comes out, hits a, hits a takedown, which she'd struggled with earlier. Does a little bit of stuff from full guard, but Rodriguez is able to escape back to her feet and keep the clinch. And Rodriguez, if she can dictate the clinch, is was nasty. Knees to the body, elbows to the head, just over and over. Bust, and hurt Michelle to the body. Busted up her face, probably broke her nose. Um, just battered her for that entire first round after that. Clear 10-8, borderline 10-7. I don't know why they sent her back out for round two, if I'm being honest. But they did, because this is MMA. And she just got beat up some more. She tripped at one point coming out of the clinch. And just you had to look at that and just kind of go, why are we still here? Rodriguez just kept hitting her. Eventually got the stoppage. Brutalized her. Um, yeah, this this was just a rehab win for Rodriguez. Um, Watterson's closing in on 40. I don't know how advisable it is that she continue to fight. Um, that's all I can say there. Uh, Rodriguez, after the fact, says you know she likes wants to get back to being violent. Fair enough. Um, she had a little bit of a rough stretch there, but she was ranked eighth coming into this. Um. She has the loss to Virna Janji Robo already and the loss to Amanda Lemo. She called out Tatiana Suarez. Um, ballsy call out. Not many people get on the mic and say, give me the female strawweight Thanos, which is kind of what Suarez is when she's healthy. Um, I don't. We don't know exactly what's next for the title picture. Logic would suggest the UFC actually has 
put forth, um, I think, some of the necessary paperwork and whatnot to do a China card. If they are, then it would be criminal, assuming everything, all parties are available, to not do Zhang Weili and Yan Xiaonan in the main event of that fight. First all-China title fight held on Chinese soil under the UFC banner, like, that's what you do. If that's the case, and if they're not going to put Suarez as, like, the backup for that in case somebody gets hurt, Suarez might need one more win. I think Rodriguez... I think that's a winnable fight for Suarez, but Rodriguez does actually pose a handful of interesting challenges given that Suarez is... She's a bit one-dimensional. She's exceptional at that dimension, mind you, but little one-dimensional, all things considered. Um, all right, next up, Brian Battle defeats AJ Fletcher via rear naked choke, 432 of the second. The size disparity here, good grief. Um, Battle was listed as three inches taller. I feel like it was more than that. And he had like 10 inches of reach advantage. The old big 10-incher. Uh, sorry, Aerosmith song. That I, uh, that just amuses me. I mean, the size, again, the size difference here was huge. Um, decent enough back and forth first round. Battle's a little bit... He's a little bit slow to ramp up. His um his output is a little bit... It's not easy, because he hits very hard, but he's very measured. And he's a little kind of mellow, uh, which is a weird thing to say about a fighter, fighter's fighting style. But on the feet... He's kind of mellow. He'll hurt you. He'll put your lights out. But it's not frantic. It's it's not non-existent. It's just smooth and easy. He was stabbing in a lot of front kicks. That had a couple of good punches, but... Uh, you know, then second round, gets things down, gets the back, gets the choke. Um, Battle had that one setback to uh, Renat Fakrandinov. Uh, um, who's turns out to be, you know, not a bad fighter. Uh, that that's his only loss, I believe, only loss in the UFC, at least. Um, that's still a some a real smothering wrestler like that might still be a problem for him, but he's actually developing nicely. Uh, he was asked about, you know, asked after the fact, like, you know, so give me a call out, and he said it doesn't matter who I call out, nobody's gonna sign on to fight me. Fair enough. Uh, this is a good performance from him. Good performance. Um, he's still, again, a little bit kind of rebuilding after losing that fight to Renat, but as far as developing fighters, he's coming along. And at featherweight, um, Charles Jordan defeated Ricardo uh, Hamos via guillotine choke through 12 of the first round. Some fun scrambles here. Jordan really has been trying to dial in his guillotine. Um, he's not the best grappler in the world. So he's developed a couple of threats to try and dissuade people from prolonged grappling exchanges. And the guillotine is not the worst choice in the world for that. And he just caught Hamos with it when they were scrambling around. So, but I mean, he's a little over-reliant on it. He almost got caught in a Von Flew choke in the first. Like, he went down holding the guillotine and Hamos got to the safe side uh, Jordan did not let go, and we're going, I can start working on this, and eventually he got out of it, obviously, but a little bit of a tendency there might be exploitable. 
Um, but, you know, solid performance overall from Jordan. Now on the prelims, Miles Johns defeated Dan Argueda via unanimous decision, 230-27s in a 29-28. Uh, here's the thing about Dan Argueda. One, great chin. Two, um, very obviously a bit junior in his development. His wrestling is, and overall grappling, phenomenal. Very, very good. Pursues the fight. Tons of credit for that. His distance closing is kind of lun- is just lunging. His entries are all in a straight line, and his head is usually there to be hit, and Johns was happy to hit him. I think Argueta's got a, a lot of upside. He really... Sh- but he's got to fix some stuff. This wasn't his first loss in the UFC, but... Man, you can't do this. And which is just to say, like, if you just keep walking into traffic like this, you'll get away with that to some to a degree in the gym. Where just you you being dogged and the other guy not trying to kill you will prevent some bad hang ups. But man, like you gotta fix some of this, man. You've got ability and you've got a bright future if you can capitalize on it. You keep you have two or three more fights like this, and you're gonna be ruined. Which is not to say this was not a competitive fight. It was. It was a fair amount of fun. His uh, other thing about Argueta, gas tank, really good. Johns was feeling about down the stretch. But you can't just if your if your logic here is. These shots aren't putting me out. I don't mind eating them. Like, you're just, you're, ra- that's a bill, man. That is a credit card bill that comes due with interest eventually. And you're better off, like, fixing some of this stuff. And hopefully he does. Good win for Johns. Um, he's still a little bit of, you know, he's still kind of developing as well. Only 16 fights. I mean, his only losses in the UFC are to Mario Bautista and John Castaneda. Um, he's had a couple of good wins. And frankly, you know, he's put people out with the kind of punches he was landing on Argueta. Argueta just, you know, got a cinder block for a head at the moment. But even cinder blocks break. Um, so good win for him. Two fight winning streak now. I don't know if he's necessarily ready for a big step up in class. Like, I don't think he's ready for ranked guys, but. Um, yeah, good win. He's still kind of coming along. Welterweight, this was your fight of the night. Tim Means defeats Andre Fialho via TKO, punches, 115 to the third. This was the brawl you'd kind of expect. Means is kind of relentless pressure, good clinch work, front kicks, elbows, uppercuts. Fialho able to bomb on him on more than one occasion. Had him hurt a few different times. Just Fialho's gas tank is a bit of an issue. He also seems to have a, a block mentally where if he doesn't finish you when he thinks he should finish you, he kind of checks out a little bit. Um, and his defense was a bit of a problem. Lack of head movement, lack of proper blocking, parrying. I mean, not that Means is some defensive savant. These two hit each other a fair bit. But Means just well, steady pressure, steady pace. It breaks people down eventually. 
So, fun fight. Look it up if you didn't get a chance. Pretty good one. Um, middleweight, Cody Brundage defeats Jacob Malkoon via disqualification. Uh, 4.15 of the first. So, Malkoon was beating the crap out of Brundage. Out-wrestled him. Got him against the fence. He, he does kind of the, you know, the Khabib thing. It is a little bit like Malkoon's general practice. Was beaten, just beating the crap out of him. Lots of punches, elbows. One near the end of the round, landed an elbow to the back of the head. You can't do that. You can't hit the back of the head. It's just, it's not a thing you can do for very good reason. Um, I actually don't object to this being a disqualification. It's not my favorite thing in the world when you have DQs, but I don't know, maybe a few more of them will, uh, this because I don't mean to be like dismissive but there's a lot of fouls in MMA that kind of go by the wayside and part of that is the incentive structure whereby the rules are enforced only to a certain degree consequently fighters get away with a lot and if you let them get away with a lot then that's what they're gonna do throwing a few more DQs and point deductions out there getting people to adhere to the rules more closely might not be the worst thing in the world uh, if we're being honest uh, sucks for Malkoon. Again, he was... Phew, this was not close. Like, he was on his way to getting a legitimate stoppage. I don't blame... When I say the following, let me be very clear. I think Brundage was happy to have a way out of that fight. Which is not to say that I don't think the effects of the illegal blow were legitimate. Uh, I just think, like, he got beat a lot. You get hit a lot. And he was like, you know what? No, I don't want more of that. And the dude fouled me pretty badly. So, no. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, and, look, there's a lot of fighters who will do, try to game this with the refs. Like, hey, you know, if I can't continue, what's going to happen? And, fortunately, most refs are smart enough to go, all I'm asking you is can you continue, yes or no? And Brundage said, no, I can't. Um, look, if I'm not going to throw shade his way, man. He got elbowed full on in the back of the head. Okay, he couldn't continue. You, you can easily knock somebody out doing that. You can't do it for a reason. It's against the rules for a reason. If he couldn't continue because he got fouled, fair enough. Like That's, that's on Malcoon, man. Pick your shots better. Like, sometimes fighters on the defense are like, you know, kind of moving around and it's a bit more awkward. The blow in question, not one of those. Like, all that was available to hit with the weapon that was chosen by Brundage was, by, by Malcoon rather, was the back of Brundage's head. Uh, I'm sorry you got I'm sorry you did not get a win in a fight you were very close to finishing. I That sucks, man. You have my sympathy in that respect. More discipline. Choose your targets better. You did this to yourself. This was not a bad call by the ref. This was not even a fighter who clearly could have continued going, no, 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 Moss, please give me the DQ. Like, you hurt the guy. 
And if you hurt them with an illegal blow and they can't continue, I can live with that being a DQ. Rules are there. Please follow the rules. Um, that's not like Malcoon was obviously the much better fighter. Uh, this might not actually do Brundage any favors if it keeps him around the UFC for another couple of fights where he just gets battered again. Uh, heavyweights. Muhammad Usman defeated Jake Collier via unanimous decision. 30-27 that I didn't agree with, and two 29-28s, which was fine. Um, this was mediocre heavyweights. Usman's striking defense is a problem. He gets away with it because he's got decent power. But, man, Collier hit him clean a lot. Did some damage to him in the clinch. Did, Usman didn't want anything to do with the clinch. After the brief exchange in the first round, uh-uh. I'm either able to get you down or we're staying at distance. I don't want any more of that. Like, that did not go well for him. Uh, he did get a takedown in round three and just kind of sat on it to ride out the round. And, hey, fair enough. It secured him the win. But... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe not as high on Usman as others. He swings a lot. Uh, he's got power. He's got a decent motor for heavyweight. The problem is, like, his, like a lot of guys, his cardio is contingent on fighting on his terms. Guys with great cardio can fight at high paces on the other guy's terms. He doesn't have that. Very few heavyweights do, by the way. Like, that's not a... That's a lighter weight class thing in particular. And you guys that heavy are just moving around a lot more stuff. Uh, but he's Usman's going to run into problems very quickly in this division. Because there's guys who are going to be able to land on him consistently and hurt him. And, and kind of an observation there. Uh, Mizuki, in a way, ended a three-year layoff, um, knee injury, and I assume complications from surgery. Defeats Hannah Goldie via unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. I was 30-27, but 29-28's fine. Um, interesting decision-making from Mizuki here. She was a little bit better at range, but they spent a lot of this fight clinched. For as yoked as Hannah Goldie is, and that woman is yoked, um... Mizuki's combination of like, good technique in the clinch and surprising physical strength on her own, she was getting the better of it most of the time. Not all the time, but most of it. Um, Pretty good knees back and forth and a little bit better at distance. Nice to see Mizuki back after that long layoff. She's got some ability. And kicking everything off, one of the worst fights of the year. Uh, Monserrat Rendon defeated Tamiris Vidal via split decision, 29-28s. This would have been a subpar fight eight years ago. But very like, this was very much a the kind of fight you saw frequently in like even longer than that, like thirteen. Yeah, crappy striking. Got a takedown, sitting in your full guard. Not doing much. Little body-to-head stuff. Like, the only thing notable here is there was a brief pause, like in the second round when Rendon punched Vidal in the... It might have been the first round. She punched her in the boob. And Rendon was like, ow, give me a sec, you... And the referee, like, half-paused. And, sorry, that's a legal blow. You can't... You, you still can't hit the groin. But the chest is fair game. Like, you're allowed to just go out there 
<laughs> so weird little bit of officiating there, because that there should not have been a pause there. That fight should have just kept on going. Um. Yeah, Vidal. I don't know. Like she showed a little bit of ability in her debut, but she barely got out of the blocks in this one. Uh, this was a bad fight. It was just a bad, like decade old, and would not have been, and would have been a bad fight back then too. Um, yeah, just a weird night of fights overall. Yeah, again, injury, DQ, couple of bad fights, some good moments here and there. Uh, one violent, one-sided beatdown. It was a very MMA night. Um, in that respect. Uh, your post-fight bonuses, I already mentioned the fight of the night. Tim Means and Andre Fialho. No issues there. Uh, might have gone Johns and Argueta personally, but hardly wrong to give it to Means and Fialho. And your performances went to Marina Rodriguez and Charles Jordan. Once again, no issues with that. Um, picking between Jordan and Battle was, again, kind of flip a coin. Uh, and if you landed on Jordan, that's fine. And that was the event. Um, yeah, it just kind of existed. I was For an event I was kind of looking forward to on paper, uh, unfortunately, not quite what we all hoped for, I think. But my full report is in the MMAZona411mania.com. Give that a read if you are so inclined. Thank you very much. All right, let's keep on moving. I don't want to be here too terribly long. So let's talk very briefly, if you don't mind, about some of the fallout from UFC Noche. Um, one thing in particular. So everybody, rightly, got up in arms over Mike Bell's 10-8 in the fifth round of Shevchenko and um, Grosso. So you might be asking yourself, self... Here we have a public service group, which is what the athletic commissions are. They are government entities. They are servants of the people, in theory. Whatever will they do to rectify this? What, what, what are we going to do here? Now, allow me to inform you, dear listener. The Nevada State Athletic Commission held a virtual seminar on the scoring of 10-8 rounds. Uh, they actually invited a couple of media members to sit in. I know Aaron Bronstetter was there. There were a few others. Um, do you know who was not present for the meeting on how to score around 10-8 or not? Mike Bell. Your performative kabuki theater means nothing to me, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Nothing. Here's the other thing about that. So they did this. They went through that round in particular, and nobody... Everybody that watched and scored this after the fact said, yeah, 10-8. It's, 10-8's ridiculous. 10-9 Grosso. So here's why I call this uh, performative nonsense. So you, in theory, educated a few of the judges. Okay, fair enough. Oh, by the way, Dana White, like, because Dana White went off on that scorecard as well, and fair enough, he's not wrong. But Dana's description of what it takes to get a 10-8 is antiquated and inaccurate by the laws. Because, you know, professional liars. Promoters. That's what they are, fundamentally. So Dana's like, no, no, like, 10-8, you, you only get a 10-8 if you beat the crap out of somebody the whole round and maybe they should stop the fight. And that's literally not the description in the laws that dictate scoring. You bald-headed wife-beater. 
and but so here's my other th so my thing about this they went over the criteria again fair enough you educate a, a few of the judges in theory except the one who gave the bad scorecard because he couldn't be bothered to show up and you changed nothing this might and you might be asking yourself again well what's your idea here robert you're, you're complaining about this what's your idea because what if you change it to a no contest? That doesn't change the outcome of the fight. Here's a thought. Okay, let me just... Let's take a slight step over here to what-if land. Okay? Not my favorite place in the world. What if, when you have a crappy scorecard like this, it gets reviewed and everyone agrees with a different score, we change it. So what if, after the fact, we administratively change not the rest of the scorecards, Mike Bell's scoring of that round, if we override, overturn his decision about that round to 10-9 Grosso, then we honor that outcome. How about we do that? What if, just a thought, fighters could appeal... And if an entire group of other judges look at the same round and no one agrees with that scorecard, we give, we change it to the most agreed upon score and that becomes the outcome of the fight. I'm not saying this is my favorite idea in the world, okay? I'm not. Hands in the air, not my favorite thing in the world. But what if? What if there was a legitimate review process here and you might be saying, well... That's screwy, you know, nobody likes, you want your gold medal to be handed out at the ceremony, not hand-delivered six months later after 18 people fail drug tests, which is a thing that's happened in the Olympics on occasion. Don't know what to tell you. Not my favorite thing, but what we have is broken. What happened, I'm, this is not me saying... That Valentina Shevchenko got horribly screwed. Or that, you know, she clearly won the fight. You can argue Grasso won that fight. I don't disagree with you. I should say. That's a rational scorecard. I scored it for Shevchenko. 3-2 either way is fine. Totally fine. I'm not saying we need to re-adjude... We need to rescore the entire fight. I'm saying we had one round on one scorecard that was so wildly aberrant... It needed to be re-adjudicated, needed to be appealed, and overturned. So, if that's the case, what do we do? Do we just throw a no contest on it? That seems stupid to me, when everyone agrees what the score should be. Why can't we get this right? I, I, I'm not saying this is the most popular idea in the world. But... When you can, when a judge can do something this asinine and screw over a fighter, we've got to have something here. If you're Adelaide Bird turning in one of the worst scorecards ever seen for the first fight between Canelo and Triple G, or what was that one? There was one the other day, a couple of weeks ago in boxing, where somebody scored it like 10 rounds to two. It was 10 rounds to 2, there was an 11 to 1 scorecard. I was, like, covering that fight with Pat and Mark, I think. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I um, great fight actually. Really good fight. Um, why am I blanking on the names? But that like eleven to one scorecard, utterly indefensible. Utterly indefensible. And what? There's nothing to be done about it. There's nothing to be done about it. Other than some behind closed doors, bureaucratic, circle the wagons BS. So, I'm saying, how about we put forth an idea here? If a scorecard is wildly aberrant, or even a specific round score, if we, we want to really drill down on this, I'm okay with this, with this being, here's the thing. If we want to make this super ex- rare, so that when it happens, we understand that this is the kind of thing that can happen. So it's not an every night we're doing this. But if you have a very aberrant scorecard, especially a single very aberrant round, let's get an official review in on this. And if every and set whatever standard you want here, that's let's set a standard. Maybe it requires unanimity. Maybe it genuinely requires unanimity. You get five other guys, judges, to rewatch that round, and if they unan- if no one gives the same scorecard that the judge live did, we overturn it and we give the most common score that they gave. That reasonable? And yes, this would this would be changing the results of a fight after the fact. I'm okay with that. We you can't let this continue. Not like this. You can't do it. It's ridiculous. You're losing credibility. You're losing whatever modicum of faith the fan base and the general public have in your institution. And you're screwing fighters over. Look, I'm not here to tell you wholeheartedly that Valentina Shevchenko won that fight. I am here to tell you wholeheartedly Mike Bell's preposterous 10-8 in the fifth round screwed her. That much I can say. Do you still think Grasso won the fight? Cool beans. Cool. That's defensible. If I rewatch that fight, I might even agree with you. I might. Like, that fourth round was that close. But, nah, we ain't doing this. We, we, you, we need something. We need some way to rectify injustice about this. And we don't have it. And ultimately, the only one that suffers are the fighters. That's it. But, you know, the Athletic Commission's... Oh, God, I don't want to go on a tangent here. But apparently the Athletic Commission's, the, like the Association of Boxing Commission's, is not happy with Colorado because Colorado is, allows one championship's rule set. Better rule set, by the way. I'm just, I don't mind saying that. I think one's rule set is better than the unified rules of MMA. You can, I think they allow, you can use elbows, you can use knees to the downed opponent, and um, the, like, the letter that was sent to Colorado by the ABC presidency is, it's nonsense. You can find it online if you want to read it, it's nonsense. It's a bunch of speculative crap. Like, the, the chairman of the Colorado State Athletic Commission released a pretty lengthy statement about why he was okay with allowing that rule set. And part of the reason he listed was like, okay, 
knees to the head of a downed opponent were leery about this, so I watched a huge number of fights under this rule set and found out that it doesn't really come into play all that often, and it mostly happens at the lighter weight classes where it's not nearly as dangerous. So yeah, we're good. And there's no like actual empirical evidence to refute what he's saying. It's just like, well, we're worried about it. Dude, I have seen gnarly stuff, president of the ABC. I watched Cyborg Santos get his skull caved in via standing knee. Nothing even remotely illegal about that one. Just a jumping knee from MVP, Michael Venom Page. Caved his skull in. I have seen... We've all seen stuff. The one rule set is actually just superior. Sorry. I'm not going to apologize for that one. But, you know, they're pissy because this group of theoretical government interests is aligned with the monopolistic tendencies of the UFC. Is what it is, I suppose, until we do something about it. But, whatever. So, there's that. All right. Um, we had a bunch of fight announcements, so let's get into that, shall we? Um, let's start with UFC 295. Uh, this is the Madison Square Garden card. Uh, we knew the main event was going to be John Jones and Steve Miocic. Um, we now have the co-main. This came about, uh, again, earlier this week. For the vacant light heavyweight title, that belt is cursed. Um, former middleweight champion Alex Pereira will fight for the belt against former light heavyweight champion Yuri Prochka. I can't tell you how wild that's going to be. That's a crazy fight. Look at that fight. Look at those two madmen. Tell me that's not going to be bonkers. Um, again, that belt is cursed. I can't wait for a bizarre injury to end this. Like, I can't wait for Pereira to be winning most of the fight and then break his leg in the fifth round. <laughs> and then, I don't know. I'm just... It's cursed. That poor belt is cursed. This is a great fight. Um, Jamal Hill uh, on Twitter being like, keep, the, keep that belt warm until the king returns. Like, buddy... That's all you were doing. <laughs> um, you almost lost that belt in the year of title fight in the fifth round against Old Man Glover, which would have been hilarious because Glover would have won and retired as champion. Um, Yuri was the deserving champion. And uh, I don't know. That, that division is just desperately trying to sort itself out. But I'm not going to complain one iota about Prohachka and Pereira. Yes. Hook that into my veins. Wild man violence. Bring it on. That'll be great. Um, was there anything else announced for that card in particular? Yes, actually. A the, speaking of crazy violence, lightweights, baby. Uh, the steamroller, Matt Frivola and Benoit Saint-Denis, those two are going to hurt each other. It'll be great. Uh, considering with the UFC... Oh, man. Not to, not to pile on potentially anti-UFC stuff here. This is a general complaint, not just about the UFC, but about a lot of things. I'm talking about the UFC in particular, because that's what we're talking about. But you can apply this complaint to a lot of events. Have you seen the ticket prices? for the UFC ticket prices in general have been going up a lot. 
Um, they're not the only ones. I don't pretend that they are. But they definitely are. And <laughs> the cheapest seats, the nosebleed seats for this event, UFC 295, on pre-sale were a, were a little under $1,000. The cheapest seats. Dude, they are just gouging fans wherever they go. Just charging through the nose for this stuff. And they're still selling tickets, so people are still willing to pay for it. I guess there's a degree to which, you know, you're to blame. But it's getting ridiculous. So throwing good fights on that. Let's take a look at that full card. So we got... Two title fights, heavyweight Jones and Stipe, light heavyweight uh, Yuri and Pereira, Mackenzie Dern and Jessica Andrade, not a bad fight. A couple of flyweights, Matt Schnell and Steven Erceg, and then Joshua Van and Kevin Bordosh. Um, Jared Gordon and Mark Madsen's not a bad fight. Pat Sabatini and Diego Lopez, that's actually good. Um, that'll be pretty crazy. Um... Mateusz Rambeski and Nurolo uh, Aliyev. That's not bad. Jamal Emers and Dennis uh, Bazooka. Not sure. Eh. I- I'm not hyped for that one. And then the aforementioned Frivola and Saint-Denis, which that'll be pretty crazy. You know, that's not a bad card thus far. And if you're paying over a thousand bucks, one would hope you're getting a good card on paper at least. Um, and then we got, so UFC 296. This is December 16th. T-Mobile Arena. Last pay-per-view of 2023. We have fights for this card now. Um, main event for the welterweight title, Leon Edwards against Colby Covington. I've gone back and forth on this one, and I'll probably go back and forth again before we get to the event. I'm not sleeping on Colby's chances here. Um, earlier, like the first times I saw this idea being floated, I was fairly high on Colby's chances. I've sa- I've cooled on that a little bit. Um, at the moment, and again, this might change by the time we get there. I'm leaning a little towards Edwards. Covington's um, pace and pressure will be a problem. Covington's wrestling style is very different from that of Usman, who Edwards kind of negated. But again, they wrestle very differently, so that's still a question. Don't know. Um, I mentioned this already. On merit, this should have been Bilal Muhammad. And Muhammad's doing the, you know, is Colby really that much of a needle mover? Well, that's something of a question. I know that he's more of a needle mover than Bilal Muhammad. <laughs> how much, again, how much more? Is he a big draw? I don't know. There was a time when he, there was a time when I think objectively he was. I don't know if we're still there or not, but we'll find out. Uh, we have the co-main, another title fight there, a flyweight title rematch between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Royval. Pantoja tapped out Royval when these two fought um, in 2021. Uh, Royval since then has won three in a row, beating Jose Bontarin, Matt Schnell, and Matthews Nicolau. Uh, the last two by decision. I don't know how Pantoja is going to look after that fight with Brandon Moreno. That was a war. <laughs> You're very rarely the same after that. Um, 
So we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm not like jumping up and down for that fight, but it's a good fight. Here's a fight I hate. At lightweight, Tony Ferguson will fight Patty Pimblett. I hate this fight. One, here's the thing about this. So if Tony's still going to fight, he's not going to get, he's going to get fights that are very hard. Most people do not exit the sport gracefully. I get it. As a guy who watched Tony's entire UFC career, it does hurt. Because there's a period of time when he was one of the best lightweights in the world. He's not that anymore. Age, mileage, injury, whatever. I kind of object to him being fed to Pimblet because I don't like Patty Pimblet. And I've struggled to articulate why for a little bit until I kind of stumbled across it. I figured it out. I spent a while going like, why don't I like this guy? He's not... Is he a little annoying at times? Sure, but he's not the... He's hardly the most annoying fighter in the world. My gripes with him go as follows. His hype does not match his ability. And that always rubs me the wrong way, not just with him, with anyone. Uh, that has really become a thing that bothers me. Don't know why, but it it does. It just... It does. So that bothers me. Two... I am not optimistic about his future for a couple of reasons. The, the sub-reasons being, I know he's young. He's only 28. However, he has over 20 fights and 11 years of fighting. This is the point where the concrete is kind of settled. Your actual age is somewhat immaterial to this. This many fights, this many years, it's very rare, not impossible, but very rare for fighters to reinvent or meaningfully progress their skills at this point. And with Patty, the deficiencies we're talking about are not minor refinements. He should have lost that fight to Jared Gordon. And he's probably going to win this fight with Tony Ferguson. Tony is just, he's faded, man. He's on the other side of it. I don't know what to tell you beyond that. This is a first in UFC history, actually. This is the first six-fight losing streak against a six-fight winning streak. And this is my other gripe with Patty. I figured out the comparison for him, and it's Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. If you're not familiar with Jr., there was a period he... In the boxing world, he turned into a clown. I'm not calling Patty a clown right now. I don't think he's a clown. I think he is overhyped, limited in skill set, getting by on elements of that skill set and favorable matchmaking, and now they're at the phase where they're throwing badly faded guys with name value to try and prop him up. And that is exactly what happened to JCC Jr. Man, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. was the man. If you never watched any of his boxing bouts, do yourself a favor, binge them. 
That dude went on like a hundred, he had like a hundred fight unbeaten streak almost. He was nutty. Love that man. Junior became a clown and he was propped up for a long time. And Patty gives me JCC Junior vibes. So I don't like it. I don't like this. If you want to show Tony the door the hard way, which might be necessary, give him legitimately talented fighters uh, I, I'd rather he fought guys who I think have genuine upside. Or other faded legends. But, uh, and look, man, if Tony can't beat Patty Pimblett, if you can't beat the guy who squeaked out a kind of BS decision over Jared Gordon, you need to be done. You need to be done. Um, also on that card... Stephen Thompson finally gets... So, Thompson, I mentioned this a while ago, he pissed off the UFC when he refused to fight um, Michelle Pereira when Pereira missed weight pretty badly. And the UFC got pissy. Because, of course, the UFC got pissy. He disrupted the machinery. They don't like that. I said after the fact, like, yeah, they're probably going to throw him right out Fakrandinov. Just this hard-nosed, smothering rustler. Well, they didn't. Um, they gave him instead... <laughs> Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, here's the thing about this fight. If Rachmanov did not take the necessary lessons from his fight with Jeff Neal, which he won, but he was a little bit hittable in that fight. He needs to shore up some of that. If he didn't, there's actually a path to victory for Stephen Thompson here. I'm not picking him. He's almost 40. I'm pretty high on Shavkat. I'm picking. Sh- I'm going to pick Shavkat when the time comes. But if Shavkat has not dealt with some of what was exposed in the Jeff Neal fight, and I don't mean exposed in the oh fraud way, like no. Hey, you found a guy whose style showed you some things about yours that you needed to learn. If you didn't fix those, Thompson has ways to get this. So just just as a thought there. Um, but that, and again, eventually we got, so Stephen Thompson's eventual punishment for disrupting the UFC machinery after Pereira was the problem was, okay, fight this up and coming guy who might be the next champion or a champion in the near future. All right. Um, I don't hate the fight though. Like, I don't like that this feels punitive, but Shavkat's do a step up and Thompson still qualifies as that. Also on that card, another welterweight fight. Um, Ian Machado Gary gets his step up in competition after beating Neil Magny. He's taking a step up to fight Vicente Luque. Um, I'm down with that. Luque looked actually pretty good rebounding um, when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, he had that brain bleed after the Jeff Neal fight that was nasty. That nearly retired him. I might have almost killed him. Um... So I don't I don't hate that fight. That's a pretty good fight. Uh, my hunches am I Celine Gary? They're they're they are favorably matchmaking Gary. I don't think it's unfair to say that. That doesn't mean easy fights. He's at the point in his career where he's not going to get handpicked gimmies. But there are like they're not throwing him again. Fakrandinov or Fakretranov, however it's uh, where the accent is. They're not throwing him those really tough, smothering wrestler guys. So. But, you know, 
There's actually not that many of them at the top of Welterweight. Um, let me take a quick look at Welterweight, actually, real fast. Just in case I'm misremembering. I mean, sorry, there are at the top of Welterweight. What am I... You got Usman, Covington, Muhammad, like, yeah, the, Shemaev's not there anymore. Get him out of those rankings. Um, oh, we also had something with uh, Sean Brady. Didn't he get his next fight made? Who was it? Um, I could have sworn I saw that. Uh, yeah, they're targeting Sean Brady and Calvin Gastelum for uh, one of the December cards. Um, curious to see if Gastelum can make welterweight. Like, that's always been where his, like, height frame was, but he struggled with that weight so badly. But point being with Gary, like, they're not throwing him... You know, he ain't fighting those smothering wrestlers. Uh, they found somebody that's going to be more accommodating of his style. Uh, for whatever that's worth. But that's the current card for UFC 296. That's... My issues with Ferguson and Pimblet aside, two title fights, Thompson and Rachmaninoff, like that's not a bad card. It's not gonna, that's not bad on paper at the moment. It'll keep flushing out, obviously. Uh, let's see, was there anything else? Yeah, just a couple of things for some fight nights. Again, Brady and Gastelum being targeted. Um, for that December second card, what else is on that one? Punjale Soriato and Dustin Stoltz first. Rob Font and Davison. Davison Figueredo debuting at Bantamweight against Rob Font. That's a rough draw, but uh, that's something. Khalil Roundtree and Azamat Mirzakhanov might be interesting. Jared Kananir and Roman Delidze on that card. That's not a bad fight night. That's not a bad fight night, all things considered. Um, is that December 9th one? We don't know much about that one. Um, I think that's it as far as major or even kind of minor fight announcements. Yeah, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken while we've been doing this stuff. And if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right. Nope. So plugs. Damn you, Hollywood. Back this Monday. Myself and Mark Radulich, we will be reviewing The Expendables 4 after as September comes to a close. So... That'll be nice. Mark and I get to, you know, sit down together again for the first time in a while. We have not podcasted together all month. I miss it. Uh, I miss my friend. We talk, but, you know, podcasting is different. I, I just, I miss doing that with my friend. So, that'll be fun. Uh, all right. My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. Uh, MLW stuff on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. There is no UFC event Saturday. However, I got roped into covering NXT's No Mercy. Feel the enthusiasm. So I'll be doing that. Then, uh, back here next week to preview UFC on ESPN Plus 87, the aforementioned fight between Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. That's not a terribly compelling fight on paper. Um, eh. No, it's not. It's not terrible. Put it that way. This is not terrible. Uh, it's not... Again, I'm not jumping up and down, but it's not awful. So we'll do a full breakdown next week. News, you all know the spiel by now. All right. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Stay safe out there. I'll see you next week, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.